0: Welcome to the Storyteller Podcast. I've just added another bonus episode of Arona on my Patreon page. It's about King Richard and where he is from. I'll give you a clue. It has to do with the mystery of the princes in the tower. If you can afford a $5 donation, please go to patreon.com forward slash Adam James and listen to it. There are two bonus episodes there now. Even though these bonus episodes aren't totally necessary, they give a rich background of key characters in this story. The other one is about the English explorer Henry Hudson. Your donations there help me create these stories. Okay, now let's get back to Arona. Chapter 22 of Arona, The Siege of New London. The invaders have breached the northern Borden wall and will be at the north side of the lake within hours," said one of the generals to the others, pointing to a model of Newdonia on the table. The room was still crowded with King Richard's top advisors and generals. I looked over the model of Newdonia. The capital, New London, sat in the center, strategically surrounded by the large man-made lake. The only way into the capital was either through the lake or via the narrow four causeways, one on each side. Just then Jack and Cubby came rushing in the room. Don't ever do that again, exclaimed Jack, grabbing me by the shoulders and shaking me. I get it. You're crazy about this girl, he said, gesturing at the princess. But don't be an idiot. You can't just leave us like that. I said nothing. "'Why didn't you guys leave for no asked Drew, slouched over in a chair against the wall, breathing heavily from his wounds. "'Drew, are, are you okay?' exclaimed Cubby. "'I'll be fine,' Drew moaned. "'You
1: think we could have left you after something like that?' said Cubby. "'Not knowing if you guys would ever make it to us. "'We tried to follow you, but it was too late, and we didn't know which way to go.' "'I'm sorry, but I must tend to my grandfather,'
0: interrupted the princess.
1: "'I suggest you leave the city as soon as possible. "'You can escape using the secret passageways.' We are about to be invaded for the first time in an age. These men will take care of your wounds before you go. Now please, excuse me.
0: She still looked shaken up, but she was trying her best to return to her regal composure as she walked away. I'm not going anywhere, I said, not thinking. Jack and Cubby looked at me in total confusion. Drew hobbled over to the table, his hands smeared blood on some papers while I tried to support himself. How can we help? asked Drew. You won't be able to do much with those wounds. I suggest you take the princess's advice and follow these men to the infirmary. Then if you still want to help, we'll be happy to have you," said General Didier, as a doctor was already attending to his wounds. Drew was taken to the medical quarters while I was shown to the west side of the city to help prepare for the invasion. There we met with Trendon, Leifan, and Larry. Allie was already helping at a different location of the city. I'm sick of this! This, this isn't my war! This isn't our battle! Why are we staying here? We need to get out the secret passages, like Chelsea said. I I just want to get back to my family. I don't want to die here fighting for these people. Come on! Let's go!" pleaded Cubby. I I get it, Cubby. I I do. We're all way over our heads, but I'm not leaving. Not yet, I replied. Why? What are you waiting for? The princess? Don't be a fool! I know. It seems stupid but I know what I saw when I drank their own. I saw my future, and my future is with her. Cubby threw down his sword in frustration. You're crazy. I'm out of here. Where you going? Come back! yelled out Jack as Cubby hurried down the stone stairs and off the walls. Cubby didn't respond and just kept running. Just then, alarm bells rang out all around us, and we climbed one of the taller, outer towers to get a better look. It was a terrifying sight to see. A large army made up of men and creatures from all over Arona approached. Taranx, Eastbornians, Russo's men, and other various mercenaries and soldiers from other kingdoms I didn't recognize, were setting up war machines of various types and preparing to cross the northern causeway. Some of the machines look like giant trebuchets, others look like impressive catapults made up of a combination of steel and wood. Still others look like a multi-level crossbow, the size of a tank on large wooden wheels. They also had large steel-tipped battering rams mounted on top of a great number of giant beasts resembling woolly mammoths. The tips were carved into various wild animals. Each mammoth wore thick wooden and leather shields that covered the entire tops of their bodies and connected them to the battering rams. These overhead shields protected the beast and driver from arrows and any other projectiles that could be shot down from the walls and towers. Other beasts looked almost like giant hairy rhinos with powerful three-pronged horns that looked as if they had been dipped in steel. Their drivers sat in small, protected wooden and metal compartments that were attached to the leather saddles. There were even Elden, who must have been working for Russo, flying up above, This infuriated Trendon and Liefen, who seemed to be cursing them in their own language. I watched many slow-moving creatures the size of dinosaurs, clad in metal and leather armor, walk up to the lake and lumber into the water. The dozens of men on their backs rode in multi-layer wooden compartments, mounted with weapons similar to the oversized crossbows and catapults. Behind them, walking awkwardly, were the giant transport creatures that Gill's people used. They too were fastened with armor and smaller weapons of all sorts. On top of these huge beasts were broad, square platforms that carried nearly a hundred men apiece. Once these beasts submerged, their platforms rested just above the waterline, and they floated towards the city, filling the north side of the lake. This looked like a very well-planned invasion one that I would assume had taken many months to orchestrate. "'The king would like you to join him. Your brother Drew is at his side now,' yelled a man on horseback below. We hurried to follow him to the most northern side of the castle. There, on top of the tallest tower, we found the king and Drew, along with the king's generals. I looked out and saw the fires of the many catapults being lit as the creatures in the water and their thousands of passengers inched closer. "'I thought you'd still be in the infirmary.' I said to Drew as I walked over to him. "'Me too. That Aron is truly amazing. I'm sure I'll need some more after this battle,' Drew replied with strange excitement in his voice. "'They're almost within firing range, your majesty,' said General Didier. "'Should I give the signal?' "'Yes,' said the king firmly as he looked out at the invading army with a mixture of confidence and disgust. "'Show no mercy, and take no business.' I will crush this pathetic makeshift army of traitors before the night falls. A series of deep horns were blown, and an endless line of knights, their horses draped in white, rushed out across the western and eastern causeways, their armor shimmering in the sunlight, each with white and red cross flapping flags attached to their backs. Gates were raised, and many ships of varying sizes sailed out of the city waterways and into the lake. Each one was heavily armed and carrying many white uniformed soldiers. At the same time, the large crossbows, catapults, and trebuchets dotting the tops of the city walls and towers began to fire. fire! Huge arrows, stones, fireballs, and other ammo rained down on the approaching floating army with great destruction. The Medonian longbowmen blackened the sky with arrow after arrow, killing countless invaders as they continued to creep slowly across the lake. I watched the King's smaller, faster ships crash into the sea creatures, driving long spikes that were built onto their bows deep inside the animals. Other ships fired similar spikes from their decks, causing the transport animals to scream in pain and thrash about, causing men to slide off their wavering platforms and into the soiled sea. Newdonians on the ships shot at the enormous mammoths as they ran towards the city across the causeway. This had little effect. The beasts were worked up into a mad frenzy from their drivers, poking them with their short spears. I watched in horror as they continued to run full steam towards the gates. Impact seemed imminent. The enemy finally finished setting up the large, impressive war machines, and they began to lob massive boulders across the lake. The full bombardment of the city had begun. Many of the boulders smashed into the walls like thunder, but caused little overall damage to the imposing stone fortress. At the same time, flying creatures flew towards the city, shooting bows, crossbows, slings, and blowguns. The amphibious sea creatures continued to slowly swim towards New London, many of them shooting their catapults and large crossbows along the way. Fire rained down. Some of the buildings behind us went up in flames, and women and children ran to put them out. Just then, I watched the white Newdonian knights approach from around the lake on both sides, making quick work of our enemies operating the war machines. Look out, my lord! I heard someone say. Before I could react, I saw something drop out of the sky to my right and explode. My throat tightened and my eyes burned. I fell to the ground and squeezed my eyes shut in pain. Protect the king! I heard someone yell. They're dropping firefish from the air! I still was unable to see, but learned later that firefish are a type of puffed-up, living, amphibious sea creature that can explode on impact and release deadly gas. Luckily, I was far enough away from the explosion that I only suffered temporary side effects.
1: Lean your head back. I'll pour this over your eyes. It will help,
0: I heard the princess say. Finally, my vision came back, and I could see the sweet princess above me. Come, princess! We must get you to safety, said General Didier. I watched through my blurred vision as she was escorted away. The creatures in the air were shot down by the king's numerous archers and machines that shot hundreds of small rocks into the air like giant shotguns. Drew was able to hit an eagle and another flying animal with his bow. One by one, the flying creatures fell into the lake or onto the city walls and rooftops. The large sea creatures let out horrible yells and moans as they were taken down. They submerged underwater forcing the men on their backs to abandon them. Because of their heavy armor, many of these men quickly sank to the depths, others struggled to swim to a nearby transport animal or back towards the edge of the lake. A large outer gate was suddenly lowered as the mammoths and rhinos neared the main city entrance. This gate had metal spikes extending at least 10 feet out and were specifically designed to thwart large, charging animals. The beast smashed into it with a terrible crash, screaming out as many died. While others still pushed through from behind, breaking into the city. Jack, Larry, and I had been instructed to join a small group of Newdonian pikemen, waiting for the rushing beast on the inner side of the main gate, up on the roofs, and hope to stab the animals in their most vulnerable spot, the neck. Thick metal doors with five foot long pikes attached had been pulled up from the stone ground in every pathway facing the invaders. I hadn't even noticed these defenses before as they simply looked like flat pieces of metal on the road when lowered. We helped set up heavy chains that hung from wall to wall at varying heights. These chains were covered with spiked balls and large razors every few feet. Once the remaining beasts smashed through the final gates, Most of them quickly broke through these last defenses and continued on through the city, bloody and screaming as they went. Each beast seemed to go down a different narrow alleyway. None had come our way yet. We all held our long pikes in anticipation, waiting on different rooftops lining our street. The sounds of screams and total destruction surrounded us. I stood there nervously. Larry was on top of the building directly in front of me, closer to the gate. As another group of animals burst through the gate, he ran to the edge of his roof and thrust his pike into one of the mammoth's thick head, causing the animal to scream and tumble to the ground. He turned around and smiled at me, for a split second, obviously pleased with himself, when another beast came smashing through the building he was standing on, sending him flying through the air. Before I could even think, that same beast came plowing through my building. Luckily I was able to grab onto a ledge of the stone wall as the roof below my feet collapsed. I hung there watching as the beast trampled through other buildings, carts, people, and anything else in their path. As one of the mammoths passed by, Drew, who was on the building across from me, leapt onto it. He grabbed a hold of its hair and quickly pulled himself to the top of its head, stabbing it many times with his sword. This caused the animal's front knees to buckle and tumble over. With surprising agility, Drew jumped off while it flipped and rolled into safety, barely escaping the trampling feet of another beast. Jack followed Drew's lead and jumped onto one of the passing beasts. I watched him struggle to hold on to the animal's long hair while he stabbed it several times. It looked like he was about to fall off, hanging on by his embedded sword. I was terrified as the mammoth abruptly turned down one of the smaller alleys, disappearing from my sight. I climbed down the wall and suddenly saw Cubby, who must have come back and was on the ground thrusting his pike into a passing beast. I looked up the street and saw more pikemen attacking the remaining wounded mammoths that had gotten past us. Come on! I yelled to Cubby. Help me get this debris off Larry! The stone and wood building he had been standing on was completely demolished. I could only see his shoulders and bloody head as he lay crushed, his eyes closed. Cubby and I couldn't budge the large stones and called for more help. Finally, with the assistance of many men and women, we were able to pull Larry out. We need a roan, quick, yelled Cubby to one of the soldiers. It won't help. He's already dead, said the soldier, as he felt his lifeless body. He stood and hurried off to help elsewhere. Please, give me some of your roan, pleaded Cubby. He held up Larry's head and signaled for the small flask on another soldier's belt. Taking pity on him, the man handed over the flask, and Cubby carefully poured it into Larry's mouth. Nothing happened. Cubby poured more in, still nothing. I'm sorry, he's dead. Arone only works on the living, the soldier said, gently removing the flask from Cubby's hand. Cubby sat there motionless, continuing to hold Larry's lifeless body. The two had become good friends during our stay on Arona. Bells rang throughout the city, and I was relieved to see Jack was still alive, though heavily wounded. We climbed the nearby damaged tower to get a better look. We could see Drew and our two Elden friends not far off, The imposing army had been crushed, just as the king had predicted. The battle lasted many hours, though it felt like it was over so quickly. As intimidating as the army had seemed, it proved to be no match for the king, his experience on the battlefield, and his heavily guarded city. I looked out over the battlefield in horror. I had never seen anything like it. Such carnage! Bodies of men and beasts littered the bloody lake and surrounded landscape. I watched men still alive moaning and crying for help they were trying to pull themselves up onto the shore of the causeway only to be met by newdonian soldiers who quickly finished them off i had to take small breaths to avoid throwing up and embarrassing myself though i seemed to be getting much more used to it i went down in the street and helped one of the families whose small wooden home had been destroyed jack and cubby were helping put out a little fire while Allie cared for some children It occurred to me then that she was most likely unaware of larry's death i felt horrible at the thought of her hearing the news who is going to tell her i felt a tug on my shirt the princess would like to see you now said a familiar man she has requested that you report to her apartments immediately please follow me as i walked numbly behind him i remembered his name was isaac then his words sunk in and my heart began racing she must be really worried to have sent someone to find me I could tell he'd been searching frantically. As I entered her room, several of her close friends quickly left, as did Isaac. She stood by a small window with a nervous look on her face. But when she turned and saw me, her look of concern turned into one of relief and excitement. I slowly walked towards her. She rushed to me, throwing her arms around my shoulders.
1: You're all right,
0: she exclaimed, hugging me tightly. I started to kiss her, and this time she kissed me back. There was no doubting her feelings for me while we kissed, the warmth of her lips and the strength of her embrace, conveying her passion. "'We've won! Your grandfather has destroyed the invaders! New London is safe!' I said, trying to reassure her.
1: "'Yes, for the time being, but I-, I fear this is all a distraction,' said the princess. "'Word has just arrived that Castone has fallen. Russo has been betrayed by his new allies!' "'What? What do you mean?' "'The real army of Taronx and their true allies invaded Midland. They took over Castone to seize control of the Arone. They used Rousseau and others to attack kingdoms like ours, so they could invade Midland freely. I'm afraid this is all part of a much larger and more sinister plan.
0: But if they've taken Castone and, and we've defeated the army here, then London is still safe, right? She shook her head sadly.
1: No, you don't understand. If they control the Arone, they control everything. We- King Richard came
0: storming into the room seemingly unbothered or unaware of our closeness.
1: Grandfather, Russel's been betrayed by the Tauronks!
0: When you deal with the devil you get burnt, said the king. What a fool! To think I respected and trusted him, my close friend! Greed washed away his wisdom. He paced back and forth in thought, his face turning red with anger. He threw away everything we worked for! Thousands of years! For what? No doubt they promised him my kingdom. And even worse, he said, yes, such betrayal. Grandfather... The room began to shake slightly as the king's fury built. His time is finished. We march to Gaston on the morrow. Heaven help anyone who stands in my way. That's it for Chapter 22 of Arona. Don't forget to check out my brand new podcast, The Storyteller Podcast, Kids Edition. Have you listened to my bonus episodes yet for Arona? There are two episodes exclusively available right now on my Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Adam James. For only $5, you can listen to both of those and get one of my hardcover books sent to you. What a deal. I'll even ship them for free. Really though, I just want as many of you as possible to enjoy my stories. The bonus episodes really expand Arona and give a rich history of the characters, which helps you better understand their motives. Your support on Patreon makes these episodes possible. One day, once I have more supporters, I'll be able to do this full time. Thanks to Heidi and Patrick for your nice comments on CastBox. See you all again soon as we march with King Richard to CastOme.